0: Gentle Thief, written and performed by Amanda Dixon, episode 19. In episode 18, we begin with Maddie, who receives a call from her ex-husband, Robert Abel, who says, may I bring over some Chinese food? And that seems like a good idea to Maddie. Robert comes over, asks how she's doing. They enjoy Chinese food together until Robert kisses her, and that confuses her. We jump then to Sophie Brownlee, who receives the first response from a medical examiner. His opinion is suicide. And that throws Sophie so off that she gets in her car and drives to Cedar City to conduct her own investigation. That's where we left it in 18, and now episode 19 of A Gentle Thief. New Year's Eve, 1983. Maddie didn't call someone to fill the silence of this night. She could have. She had in years past. In fact, she couldn't remember being alone on a New Year's Eve since she was a kid. She must have been fifteen or sixteen that year. Her mother had had a date, and she didn't want to be with her father. He had wanted to be with her, of course. Her stepmom had even made a big deal of inviting her, going into great detail about what food they'd eat for dinner, what games they'd play, snacks at 11 o'clock while they watched the party from Times Square, then non-alcoholic champagne just a few minutes before midnight. It was all too nauseating, so Maddie had stayed home. She remembered feeling proud of herself that night. There were moments during the evening when the fear of being alone began to overtake her, "'but she would turn on the TV or do jumping jacks to keep it away. "'If those tricks didn't work, she would picture her father's face "'looking at her stepmother so adoringly, "'and that would keep her from picking up the phone. "'She made it to midnight without crying once. "'Then, right after she watched the ball drop, she lost it. "'What had happened to her life?' the teenage Maddie thought as she sobbed. "'Where did her family go?' She used to crawl in bed with her dad when she was a little girl and watch the Partridge family on Friday nights. Her dad liked baseball games, Phillies if they were on, and the British comedies on the PBS station. He never minded when Maddie talked during the show. He would even get up and turn the sound down sometimes so he could hear her better. Then things started getting so bad between her mom and dad. Her mom yelled every day, it seemed like, sometimes first thing in the morning. There was no escaping it. She would yell because of money, because of dishes in the sink, because of the bathroom, because of her dad and her laughing too loud. It was constant, her mother's raised voice, the hateful words, and it only served to bring her father and her closer together. It was you and me against the storm, she thought, and as long as we stick together, we'll be all right. But we didn't stick together. You left. That was the refrain of her teenage years. You left me, you left me, you left me. This New Year's Eve was bittersweet. It still hurt Maddie to be alone, but she was a woman now. She had strength and skills to deal with it. She was even a divorced woman now, headstrong enough to marry a man twice her age and divorce him on a whim. She could handle a whirlwind love affair with an irresistibly bad man like Con. She could handle being so far from home with no family to support her. She didn't need to run to a friend to fill the space. She was enough. This was the pep talk she gave herself as the afternoon turned into evening. Sometime after four, Maddie was lying on the couch reading Jonathan Livingston Single. She had read the book before a few years ago. Her father gave it to her as a gift one Christmas when she came home from college. She had liked it then because it was small and because it talked about freedom and individuality. She picked it up again today. She needed a break from writing in her journal, and she noticed it because it had fallen over at the end of the shelf of the bookcase in the living room. In the late afternoon shadow, she felt her eyes start to droop. Maddie felt tired, so tired, and placed the book on the coffee table next to her. She let her eyes rest. It felt so good. She loved falling asleep more than most things in life. Then she heard footsteps on the porch. Who was that? Maddie lay absolutely still. She never closed the curtains on her big front window, so she imagined whoever it was was looking right in at her lying there on the couch. Maddie wondered if the sun was angled just so that maybe the glare shielded her. She wasn't sure. She didn't move a muscle. The person rapped on the door, not insisting, not aggressively, like she imagined Con would do if it was him on one of his missions. It was just a knock. Then quiet. Maddie prayed she had locked the door. She waited there with her eyes closed to hear the person turn the knob and walk right in. Then she heard footsteps walking away. "'Maddie laid as still as her racing heart would let her "'until she was sure the person was off the porch. "'Then she opened her right eye slowly. "'She couldn't see anyone in the window, "'so she walked lightly over to peek out. "'It was Beth. "'Beth, Junior's girlfriend, now ex-girlfriend, "'was walking away back up the lane. "'What did she want? "'Why was she coming over on New Year's Eve? "'That was weird.' Maddie watched her walk all the way back to Junior's and then go in his house without knocking. Were they back together? That was fast. Maybe Beth was just back to get some stuff she had left. She couldn't imagine Junior going down that road again already. He had just given her the what-for the day before. Nobody ever stuck to their guns, Maddie thought. We all crumble in the face of loneliness. Junior knew Beth was bad news, but she was better than no news. Robert knew Maddie didn't love him. Not the way a wife should love a husband, anyway. But she was better than the truth. And Maddie? She knew Con brought out every bad quality, every character flaw, every fear and weakness she possessed. And yet, she let him in the house every time he knocked or didn't knock. Why did everyone fear being alone? What was so terrifying about living alone? Maddie was doing it. She may not be doing it well or artfully, but she was doing it. Just then her heart fluttered. She felt a rushing sensation in her chest that concerned her. She was just starting to worry there was something wrong, really wrong, when the phone rang. Hello, Maddie answered, sounding a little out of breath. You answered the phone. I can't believe it, her mother said. Hi, Maddie replied, wishing she had let the machine pick up. Your father said he hadn't heard from you since Christmas, so I wanted to check and see how you were doing. You're talking to Dad now? Maddie asked sarcastically. I didn't call to start an argument. I just want to know how you're doing. I'm fine. Really? Really? Maddie knew her voice didn't sound convincing. Good, because it's time for you to grow up, you know. "'Haven't I told you for years that a man can't make everything all right? "'You've got to stop thinking that some man is going to come along and make you happy. "'It's not going to happen, Maddie. "'And even if it does, he might turn around and walk right back out the door.'" Maddie's chest started to cramp. "'I know, Mom. "'No, I don't think you do. "'If you had known that, you wouldn't have married the first man who paid attention to you "'and then broke his heart.'" And you wouldn't have fallen for some shiftless radio DJ who has no business going after a married woman in the first place. Maddie didn't say anything. What was she supposed to say? I didn't call you to lecture you, her mother excused herself. I just want you to think about what you're doing with your life. You're not getting any younger, you know. It's time to start thinking about how you're going to take care of yourself. I'm a teacher, Mom, remember? And hopefully you'll be able to keep that job, at least for now. Of course I'll be able to keep my job. What are you talking about? Nothing. It's just public schools are political, Madeline. If you keep shacking up with every man you meet, married or otherwise, eventually somebody's parents are going to complain. And when they do, you'll find yourself without a job and without a recommendation for another job. Maddie had started to cry without realizing it until a heavy tear fell on her wrist. The feeling in her chest was deepening. Now it felt like a weight like the way she imagined it would feel in those movies where the mob puts your feet in cement and then throws you into a river. "'Are you hearing me?' Maddie's mother demanded. "'Yes,' Maddie whimpered. She sounded six years old. "'Now don't go getting all boo-hoo-y on me. The only reason I tell you these things is because I love you, and I want you to be able to take care of yourself and not have the rug pulled out from underneath you like your father did to me. "'I know.' "'Things would have been a lot different for us if your father hadn't abandoned us, you know. "'You would have been a better student. "'You would have had more self-confidence. "'I know you wouldn't have been so needy, "'so dependent on every man who pays you any attention.' Mattie's lips were quivering now, "'and the tears were falling at regular intervals onto her shirt and her lap. "'It's not your fault you turned out this way.' "'Her mother kept going. "'What chance did you have with everything he did to you?' And then the accident just finished you off. You didn't stand a chance after that. Maddie heard the doorbell ring over the phone. Oh, that's your Aunt Joyce, her mother explained. She's coming over to go to the church for a potluck. I just dread those things, especially with Joyce, but I better go. Happy New Year. Okay. Maddie managed to get out before she heard her mom hang up. When the phone rang again, an hour later, Maddie let it go to the machine. She listened as the caller hung up without leaving a message. A few minutes later, the phone rang again, and Robert started talking to the machine. "'Maddie, it's Robert. Pick up if you're there.' He waited, breathing on the recorder. "'Okay, maybe uh, maybe you're out. Anyway, I, I just wanted to say I'm sorry about last night. I know better. God knows I know better.' You've just got me. You you always did. Anyway, if you feel like company to ring in the new year, it's just me over here thinking about you. Then he hung up. Maddie kept crying all through his message, but she had no urge to pick up the phone. He couldn't make it better. She could complain about her mother to him, and he'd let her. He might even chime in with a few jabs of his own for camaraderie's sake, but it wouldn't fix anything. An hour after they were together, she would regret her decision to be with him. Better she fall apart on her own, if that's what she was going to do. Being with Robert would just postpone it. Being with anyone would just postpone it, she thought. There's no fixing it. Her mom was right. She was done the day her father left, and beyond redemption after the accident. The accident. She never said the word out loud. She rarely even thought it. She had killed her. How could she ever be okay after that? She had taken a life. She didn't deserve to live. An eye for an eye. A life for a life. Every minute she breathed since the day of the accident felt like stolen time. She tried to run to get away from the truth, mile after mile. And when that didn't work, she washed and washed to try to get the guilt off of her. She was like Macbeth, scrubbing blood from her hands, blood that would never come off. She couldn't escape it. She could take sleeping pills for another 40 years, and she would never escape the dreams of killing her. What did she think? Did she think she was going to make someone a good wife someday? (laughs) Did she actually think she'd be able to be someone's mother? She'd just wind up torturing a child the way her mother had tortured her. It was inevitable. Women became their mothers, and her mother was a hurtful, sadistic woman who never should have had children. Never should have had her. the morning of January 1st, 1984. "'It's your mother calling to say Happy New Year,' Junior's mother said in a voice too cheery for the time of day. Only Junior's mother would call before 8 a.m. on New Year's Day. He got out of bed and walked with the phone into the kitchen. "'Happy New Year, Mom.' "'Hope I didn't wake you,' it was her habit to say. "'It's all right. How are you doing?' "'Junior opened the cupboard and pulled out the can of Folgers "'while cradling the phone on his right shoulder. "'Pretty good, pretty good. "'Your dad's going to try to get out and look at that fence today "'over on the north field. "'Today? It's awfully cold out. "'Couldn't that wait until it warmed up a little?' "'Junior's father seemed to pick the hardest jobs for the toughest days. "'You know your father,' his mother said, and he did. "'You want me to come over and ride out there with him?' "'Junior asked. "'No, thanks. "'He'll be fine. "'He probably just wants to get some air.' "'Junior filled the pot with water "'and poured it into the coffee maker, "'his hand shaking slightly as he did. "'Did you stay up to watch the ball drop?' "'He asked his mother. "'No, I watched a little news "'and went to bed around 10.30. "'You know I've never been much "'for staying up on New Year's. "'I know. "'How about you? "'You stay up?' "'Yeah, Beth and I had a little dinner and came home to watch a movie.' "'I thought you were finished with that girl,' his mother said, "'not trying to hide her disappointment. "'I was, but yesterday we got to talking in the afternoon "'and sort of got back together. "'What does that mean?' "'It means we had dinner last night, "'and we're just going to take it one day at a time, I guess.' "'He looked back toward the bedroom. "'You could do so much better than her, Junior.' There's that nice girl I told you about who just started as a receptionist at Hairport. She is so darling. You two would look so cute together. Thanks, Mom, but, you know, I don't like to be fixed up. Well, you're not getting any younger, you know. One of these days, you're going to have to make something out of yourself, put some roots down, start a family. I'll be doing something about that soon, Junior answered her, leaving her wondering. Robert Abel woke on New Year's morning with a headache behind his eyes. He knew better than to drink champagne. It had always given him a headache. He had picked up a bottle at the liquor store the day before in the hopes that Maddie would come and share it with him, but she never did. He wasn't surprised, not really, and it was silly to be disappointed. Pathetic, actually. He cursed himself and went to the bathroom to splash water on his face. He tugged at his beard in the mirror and thought about shaving it off. She had tried to get him to do it, but he told her he was afraid to see what was underneath maybe he'd just do it today. Before he uncorked the champagne last night, before the night had wound down to nothing but Dick Clark and the confetti in Times Square, Robert had started something he had only dreamt of for years. He started his book. Robert was a professor of English literature, and like most teachers of English at all levels, he fantasized about writing his own book, "'not just something scholarly, "'not criticism of another's creativity, "'his own novel, his own plot, characters, "'his own imagery and symbolism and texture. "'He had counseled a hundred students "'who came to him with their sloppy sample chapters, "'imitating Vonnegut or Mailer. "'He would read their jolting dialogue, "'editing along the way, "'and have sessions with them afterward "'to encourage them to keep at it. "'Their faces had terrified him.' "'so vulnerable in asking for his approval, "'so desperate to have someone see them as writers. "'They looked similar, these students, "'with their hair in their eyes and their earnestness. "'Some were defiant, convinced of their own talent "'and not terribly interested in his direction. "'Some were terrified that the dream they had of themselves "'would never come true, "'that they would turn out just like their mothers and fathers "'and never escape the small towns they had come from.' The smallest word of encouragement from him had thrilled most of them. Sometimes they would respond by drowning him in prose, pages and pages of writings, all the way back to when they were in junior high. He read their hormonal ramblings until he couldn't take it anymore. Then he would soothe himself with Shakespeare. Yes, words worth reading, worth rereading, pure, undiluted genius. It was the thought of Shakespeare that often kept Robert from his own writing. How could he write when there was Shakespeare? It had all been said. Every truth, every joy and sorrow, every story had been told. If not in Shakespeare, then James or Plath or Thoreau. What could he possibly add to their body of work? He could never turn a phrase with their kind of flair or economy. So why even try? Why? because he had a voice, however jaded and insecure. He had a voice, and finally his desire to speak became more powerful than his need to be good at it. He didn't know what time it was when he went to bed, but it was many hours into the new year, a year he thought might just be his best. had not been to sleep yet on new year's morning when he got in the car and started driving to vegas the afternoon before he wasn't exactly sure what he was after he just knew he wanted to get away from gina he couldn't breathe around her she was so made up and burned out and he wanted to get away from the temptation of going over to maddie's if he stayed home he might give into it and go to her even if she didn't want him he knew how to get in if she locked the door but she never did a couple of hours later, he pulled into Las Vegas on the busiest night of the year. It was so foggy, he couldn't see the lights of the strip until he was right on top of it. He nearly missed the exit. Con had never seen Vegas this foggy. He didn't know Vegas got foggy. It was eerie. He was pulling in the Hilton parking lot and couldn't see the blue H on top, only a vague glow. He parked and walked into the blinding madness of the Hilton Casino. He walked, without meaning to, into a restaurant with a Hawaiian tropic decor. When the hostess wearing a lei asked him if he'd like a table, he said yes. He sent her a drink when he ordered one for himself. When she received it, she smiled at him from across the room and lifted her daiquiri in acknowledgement. Khan tried to talk her into getting off early, but she couldn't, or so she said. He ate his pineapple chicken to the noise of a waterfall behind him. After dinner, he started making small talk with a woman at a slot machine next to his. She laughed at his jokes until her boyfriend came back from the bathroom. He got up and wandered around the slots for a while before finding a blackjack table he liked. There he played hand after losing hand with the wad of money he had picked up from the cashier on his way in. He hadn't bought any Christmas presents this year, so he had a few hundred to blow. Later that night, After drinking vodka on the rocks until the lights from the slot machines started to blur together like taillights on the freeway, Kahn found himself in the company of a blonde woman who looked to be at least ten years older than him. He couldn't quite remember how he met her or when, but she was sitting close to him in a booth at the back of the lounge just off the casino floor. He tried to focus on her eyes, then winced. Where you staying? She asked him. Here, he answered, although he hadn't actually gotten a room yet. "'Let's go,' she urged, as she handed him his drink and gave him the signal for Bottoms Up. Now, eight hours later, Kahn sat on the side of his bed in his jeans. He felt sick, deeply and thoroughly sick. He had no idea how much money he spent last night. The woman he brought back to his room had taken him to the cage several times to put more cash on his visa, and he had obliged her until the card wouldn't work anymore.' They had one at the tables, he thought, although he wasn't sure. There was no money on the desk or on the top of the TV, and none in his wallet. The thought of his daughter flashed in his mind. It felt like a nail gun straight to the brain. He walked toward the window and wondered how wide it opened. If it opened...